Yeah. What are you looking at? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Coming to you live from the podcast room at Area 51, Phoenix, Arizona. 24.3 La Zeta, Poland, Seattle, Vancouver. 93.1 El Rey, Vancouver. That's right, folks. Vancouver. You really, you really got to be impressed with us at the amount that we're just cranking out these episodes every week. It's really something to behold. It's almost like we, it's almost like we signed up to do a podcast or something with how much we're fucking cranking these bad out. I reckon. But uh, you don't get content like this just anywhere, folks. It is Sunday evening. And Father's Day, Happy Father's Father, Day! Happy Father's Day! Happy Father's Day. Day. Shout, Shout out, out to all the, the dads. fathers out there. I just finished my fifteenth hour of singing in the last five days, so that's pretty good. Let's get this bread, though. That's a lot of bread. So I called my dad, obviously. Tell me, love him. Well, not those words, um, <coughs> obviously. <laughs> but I called him. He was with my sister and my mom, and um, we were all just talking about shit. And my dad told me... He was talking about shit on Father's Day. My dad told me that I needed to get some sleep and not to work too hard. Which, you don't get that from Tom very often. No, and it's also like, hey, you son of a bitch. Where was that when I was a teenager? (laughs) Well, there's fair enough. It's also about the highest compliment. It's like, if anybody taught me this lifestyle, it was you. Yeah. The... My dad taught yeah, me that if you're not working, if you're not working, you, why are you even here? What are you doing? Oh, you think you, this is just leisure time? Certainly not. You think you can just have fun? But, uh, so it's Father's Day, good times. Um, but, <coughs> I don't know. <coughs> no one does. A little podcast action. John Ram, John Ram won the U.S. Open. Phoenix won Game One against the Clippers. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, we move places and good things happen. Okay. If we didn't move here, the Suns would have never got Chris Paul. That's a fact. That's a fact. They never would have been. That is playing. a fact. They never would have been playing in the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. Also, never would have met fucking DeAndre Ayton, which yep. made him start playing like a real basketball player. Brought up that story today at my gig. You have to. Um, what a time! What, what a time, time to be, to be alive. alive. I, uh, you guys may know that we're big fans of Wingstop. I'm doing something. I'm breaking the mold with what I'm working on here today. This might, this might be illegal. It might be illegal, but I think flavor-wise. So, I ordered. Boneless wings this time, so they're really more like chicken nuggets, but it's with Wingstop quality spices. <coughs> I'm gonna cook up some tortillas. I'm gonna toss those chicken deals into the tortilla, sprinkle some cheese over it. Some Holy tacos. Fuck. Holy fuck. We're looking for some good things today. I'm gonna get some ice cream later. Yep. I woke up at Harrison's house this morning. That was fun. That's always fun. We went to bed around two. I woke up around six, obviously. Drove here. 
Feeling great, I would imagine. Feeling like dog shit. Really? That was me on Saturday. uh, Fucking slept for on and off for another three hours, and then I just got up, came out. You were already out in the living room. Yeah, well, it was 10 by that time. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was out in the living room. And I felt, well, because we also ate some edibles, so I had like a serious high over. And I just laid down on our carpet, our rug deal, and it was just, I was like, there's no way I could play this gig. But you take a shower, you fucking you shake off the dust, As you, you do. Go. I think it's underestimated how much a shower can immediately change the momentum of your day. For real. Both in good and bad ways. Yeah. Like, sometimes I'll get home from work and, like, I've got, like, it's like, okay, I'm going to knock out all these tasks today. Yeah. But then you take a shower. Shower, you're like, no, I'm and done. And you go, yeah, I could just relax. But yeah. on the flip side, you're feeling like dog shit. You take a shower. You take a shower, especially a nice cold shower. Yeah, you just get, you just do, like, one productive thing, and then you go take a shower, and that just starts a momentum of It's a whole thing. Things. Yeah, I love a hangover shower because it's really the only thing that can get you feeling any sort of level of refreshed. As far as I'm concerned, it has to at least be somewhat cold. Yeah. It doesn't. Well, a hot shower. To, it doesn't have to start that way. But no, it has but to that's end the, cold. It, yeah. Especially here, a hot shower does nothing good for you. A hot shower makes you want to kill yourself. A hot shower here just is just 115 a day like, or what, whatever. Why am I like doing literally? It? I put I pull the keys out after driving somewhere, and my keys are literally. Extremely hot. Yeah. Like everything is hot. The doorknobs are hot. Doorknobs are hot. Hot doorknobs. <laughs> you got hot doorknobs. Hot doorknob action. You got hot door handles on your car. But that's Arizona. And that's what we signed up for. You accidentally touch the seatbelt and you get a fucking third degree burn. It's only supposed to be low hundreds next week, like 100, 403. I'm excited about 108 that. 108 couple days. Our trucks at work have removable racks on them on the sides. And they're black, huh? And they're black metal. Yep. Solar panels are black, too, and it pisses and me off. you reach in to, like, untie, like, a tie-down strap or some ratchet strap, and you're, like, the the underside of your fucking, like, your tricep, your tricep touches, tricep touches, touches yep. the black metal, and you go, God, Dude, even if your tricep touches, like, the pickup bed of a truck. Yeah. It's just like, God, it's hot as fuck. fucking shit. Like, was that, de- was that the devil's asshole right there? It felt like it. Tasted like it. Tasted sure. like it, yeah. It smells like it. So it's like burnt hair. But, uh, so that's what we're dealing with these days. But you still got to love Arizona. Yeah. You got to. Give it five months and then, oh, daddy, it's all downhill from there. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. So anybody from Oregon, it's like you get three or four of the best months in any state, in any country, in any Climate part of the ever. world. Those three or four months of summer in Oregon are the best. But it requires you to have to deal with nine, nine months, months of, of rainy shit. Dog shit. With a Here is the opposite. Days. Here is the opposite. It's nine months of great weather and then three months of absolute hell. hell. Like Probably like four months where it's just too hot to do anything. Four months is more accurate. Yeah. But it's just like, fuck. 110 to 220 every day. Last yeah. summer was the hottest summer on record, so... Which is so stupid because I have a it bunch of coworkers be. where I go, I feel like this month, this summer is going to be not as bad because like the heat started later, and they go, oh, this summer's weak. Last or no, they said this summer's weak, but they also said that last summer was weak. Yeah, and I was like, last summer set records for most days over 110 degrees. Yeah, well, fuck yourself. Last summer was rough. Yeah, and it was rough from the very beginning. It was rough in like May. It was rough in like 
late March. Yeah, it's just like oh, late it's... March. It was hitting 102. Yeah, it's like, like oh, it's already hot. Yeah, this summer's been great so far. Yeah, we've had one bad week, and it's yeah the middle of June. And like, it's rough at work, <coughs> but like you're also just kind of used to it. Like, yeah, it's like boiling frogs. It's interesting. Hear me out. Okay. So if you boil frogs, they start in tepid water, and then you just turn on the burners, and then as that heats up, they don't really realize it. They just acclimate to it, and then before they know, they're boiled. Because, like, you acclimate to the weather outside. And so that is the one nice thing about Arizona is, like, if it went straight from, like, 75 degrees on a winter day to 115. Which is kind of what it did last year. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, then you notice how hot it is. But if it gradually if it builds, like, it goes to 80 year, to 90 to 100. And you go, it's hot, but, like, my body's used to it. I'm, it's good to go. Yeah. That's boiling frog frog talk with the That's boiling frog talk. Never boiled frogs. So my coworker, the other truck driver at work, um, so he went to Idaho because we opened up a new branch up in Idaho. He went there I think two weeks ago, and all of a sudden he's going again. The last time we went to Idaho before two weeks ago was back in September. That's when I went. We haven't had to go up there. Now he's having to go twice in a month all the way up to Idaho from Arizona. That's rough. That's it's a, a full five-day trip. That sucks. Yeah. Does he like it or does he hate it? He doesn't seem to hate it. He's like 20, 23, 24. Oh, I would love it. And um, it, it actually works out great because, like, so at work, I'm the main truck driver. I'm the truck manager, oh, all that sure. shit. And... My whole thing is, like, anywhere you guys need to send me, I will go, but I need heads up because I got gigs. So I'll tell you the weeks that I can do it versus not. And so up until this new guy showed up, I was on the hook. If we had to go to Salt Lake, if we had to go to Albuquerque, if we had to go to fucking Boise. Albuquerque. A-L-B-U-Kirky. So I was on the hook. But now... This guy keeps getting screwed with these jobs, and now I'm getting paid as a CDL. It's just I'm still getting way underpaid, but I'm still getting paid as a CDL driver. And barely having to. But now I don't even really have to do much of those jobs, and it shows that he can do them. So now, if if the question is asked, it's not can Austin do it? It's can any truck driver do it? Yeah. So things are going pretty well in that department. That's a sweet little. It's a sweet little little get up. And and. Our new warehouse manager, Jay, I've already mentioned how fucking solid he is, but now he's trying to get everybody in the warehouse raises. Whether he succeeds is remains to be seen. Sounds like a real union guy. But the fact is, he's going to bat for us. When we had John, John didn't give a fuck. John's John, not going to bat for Literally gambling. everyone hated John. How could you not? All the foremen aren't really a fan of Jay because he's kind of hard-headed and he just goes, yes, we're doing this, or no, and not happening. And so it's great for all the truck drivers, but the foremans aren't big fans. But Because he'll tell the foremans no? He'll tell the foremans no. Or just, like, reschedule. And it's uh, he's running it exactly how it should be run. But, of course, the foremans are pissed. Our company's getting better. It's getting more organized, finally. You're in the warehouse now. Yeah. But, <clears throat> we've, dude, I can't even... I can't even guess how many fucking new, how many employees we've hired 
since January. If you were to guess. <sighs> but we've also started a roofing business that's mostly based out of Minnesota, but we hired two people in our office that work in the roofing business. Uh. We hired three people on another crew. We hired Ash. We hired Dante. We hired two project managers. We hired a receptionist. At least 10. Damn. It's a lot. At least 10 since January. It's a lot. But the point is you're in the warehouse now, so you're going to be able to actually go out and do comedy. Yeah. We've been I'm, talking about this the last few weeks. Like, yeah. that actually has come to fruition. And even, like, the last, like, last week, I still woke up early and went in uh, to help the new, the guy that's taking my place, like, pack the jobs and everything. But even waking up early and going to work, I didn't come home physically tired. Like, yeah. I could still go out and do things. Yeah. Because when you have to get up early, but you're not on a roof all day, like, you can still, you still have energy at least. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, like, if I was farming and then trying to go to gigs after work... You can't, because you can't. Your, your, your brain is not ready to do that. Like, my job is technically super physical. It's a lot of loading trucks and shit, but it's regimented, and it's not always that. And so it's enough to where even if you have a shitty day, but you have a gig that night, you go, I'm exhausted, but I can make it happen this one time. Yeah. Or two times or whatever. But... With farming, it's always physical to the point where you're literally exhausted when you get home from work. And, yeah, trying to make Anything. any sort of extracurriculars happen is not going to happen. Yeah, other than getting high with your <laughs> and drinking beer. Like, yeah. that's pretty much all you want to do. Yeah. And now I'm not going to have to go in until, like, 7 or 8. Tomorrow? You don't well, have to go until 7 or 8? Tomorrow I'll probably go in. I'll probably be in at, like, 6 tomorrow. But... Yeah, I mean, my boss is still gone, so me and Ash kind of have to be there more right now, but he gets back on Thursday, and then I'm going to be like, hey, bro, you said I could come in later. Like, let's get on that. So you're going out (laughs) to Padre Murphy's tomorrow night? Yeah, on Monday, and then I'm going to go down to Roosters on Tuesday. Roosters on Tuesday. And then I think I'm going to go to the boycott on Wednesday. There you go. And I still have to find a good... I mean, there's a couple spots on Thursdays that I've never been to that I'll check out, but... But if you can steadily do Monday through Wednesday at any I place, wish... Because like, it comes down to the consistency and just doing it and doing it and just keep rolling over successes. I wish Boycott was on, like, a Thursday or something. Yeah, but if you're doing Wednesday it, is weird. Like, just Monday like through weird. Wednesday, like, that's the days you got to be sort of hustling anyways. Yeah. So, like, if you can knock those out on those days... Then, like, if you could do extra gigs Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's great. But if you're consistently doing Monday through Wednesday every single week, that's going to add up exponentially super quickly in terms of success. I think Devil's Advocate was on Tuesdays, too. I might look at that one again, but that one was outside. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, if you just go Monday through Wednesday, I'm doing comedy, full stop. The thing is, Tuesdays is Roosters, and Roosters has the best crowd of anywhere I ever go do comedy. There's always people there, and they're always looking to have a good time. Yeah. And there's there's pool leagues, so there's pool players there. There's, like, shit going on there, even on Tuesdays. Yeah. 
It's crazy that... Padre Murphy's usually has a, a crowd, too, but it's usually just middle-aged people eating dinner at the bar. Yeah. Like, single dudes. But it's just crazy that the friends that I met through music, and one of whom I'm in a band with, <coughs> and the other one, we play together all the time, Tall Paul Laura. <coughs> um, it's crazy that now they're going to be running an open mic where I'm not going to be there, but You're I'm gonna, gonna be, be there. Do comedy and yeah. Like yeah, you get to do a com. You get to do comedy at a place that my music friends run right open, open mic, mic and yeah. it's the best open. Mic. And they're gonna be like, "Yeah, go, you do it every time. We don't care." I just, you gotta love that kind of cross pollinization. Yeah. I fucking swear by it. Yeah. And they're hundred percent down for it too. Like they're one hundred percent down for it. Tall Paul. They run an open mic for music, Tall but Paul if a comedian wants to do me. it, yeah, exactly. It's gonna be great. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. Plus, you're not doing it in just front of a in front of just a comedy audience. Number one, which is usually better because yeah, those are that's the regular people. Yeah, they're not comedy comedians. fans. Like, and like, they, yeah, they might be comedy fans, but they definitely didn't think that they were gonna go see com. Like, they they weren't, but they're they're usually open to it. Yeah, and the and signups the, at Roosters are super easy. Yeah, like you can show up and sort of pick what time you want to go on. Yeah, literally. So like. The way most open mics work is if you don't show up there right as it's starting, if it's like a popular open mic, you're going to be relegated to late night. Yeah. But with Roosters, you get the option. Like when I lived in Nashville, I would always play the uh, open mic at Douglas Corner, which was like the start of like Blake Shelton, maybe Reba, Taylor Swift. Like it was a serious, like it was a big open mic. So everybody would go there. But it was my favorite open mic to do. Signups would start, I think, six or seven, and they were over the phone. So I would call in, and it was almost always busy. And if you were lucky, the open mic would start around 7, 30, 8 o'clock. If you were lucky, you'd be on in those first two hours. <laughs> and I went there every single week. Nine times out of ten, I would go on stage at 2.30 in the morning. Jesus. 2.30 in the morning. No one is there. It show starts other than at the, 8. The show starts at 8. So I would show up because they don't tell you on the phone when you're on. You show up when the open mic starts and then you look at the list and you find out when you go on. And you go, I'm in group 9. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me. And that was, and like, I would go to this other place. I mean, I went to a bunch of open mics, but there was this other place in Nashville can't remember what it was called, but the open mic was a sign-up sheet. So you get there, sign-up start at 7. So you get there at 6 to try to get a good spot in line. The line would go, it was two-decker place. The line would go all the way down to the ground, and you're just standing in line like, hopefully I get on. Dude, that was kind of what it was like when I signed up those couple times at uh, Helium in Portland. Yeah. They were like, you could just like write your name on the edge of the paper if you had, like once all the spots are filled, people just start writing their name anywhere. Yeah. And it's like, maybe you get on, maybe you don't. Open mics are tough and annoying and frustrating, but in terms of- You know what of, I want to try to in find? In terms of honing your shit you though, know what I want to try to an find open on a, mic is the place where it's done. You know what I want to try to find on like a Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday night? Like a fucking improv thing. Yeah. Where I could just go Dude, I would do like, some stupid improv honestly, shit. Doesn't that sound fun as fuck? I would hop on stage. I yeah, want to do improv. Improv seems super fun. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so fun. 
improv scene, like, so Adam Carolla always, so he's obviously just great at metaphors and just talking off the cuff. Like, his comedy shows are Adam Carolla's Unprepared, where somebody just tosses out a topic, like, buttons, and he will do a five-minute bit I'm that funny. is, like, somebody else's refined act. He will do that just off the cuff. And he says that he got to start, and he recommends this to most comedians. He goes, go to the Groundlings. I think it was, yeah, it was the Groundlings. Because it's just, like, the ultimate improv group. And it's like, that's where you hone your skills the best. Like, thinking on your feet, trying to be funny on your feet. Like, and it just makes me want to go do improv. Like, improv seems super fun and difficult. And, like, well, and like I think we could carve some fun out of it. Yeah, this. we do improv. Like, all we ever do is improv. That's all we do. Yeah. yeah. So, when you put us on a stage, we're going to just do improv. Not only that, it'll force you to then be comfortable on a stage yeah. in front of an audience. With nothing. Even Which if you have nothing. I think most comedians... And really, musicians, too, would agree with this. Like, the first step you really need to make, more than material, more than anything else, is comfortability on stage. Yeah, the confidence and the just... Because the, if you're comfortable on stage, the, the audience, audience will comfortable. be comfortable, yeah. If you're in a comedy audience and you're watching somebody on stage and they're clearly... Nervous. Nervous, and, uncomfortable. Yeah, it's hard. Everybody's uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, completely broadcast to the whole audience, like... Be, we're gonna be tense for the the which yeah. also makes it harder to laugh. Yeah, then, unless you're like, Joe, even Ma- if they have unless well you're Joe Mackey, then somehow you Joe Mackey pull it is. Off. But I love Joe <laughs> Mackey, dude. Fun gang. <laughs> Joe Mackey is so fucking funny. He's good friends with Sam Morell, and I don't really I don't watch it, but I do follow. Do you know who Greg Gutfeld is? Yeah. He used to do Red Eye. He's kind of a libertarian kind of guy, but he's on Fox, and he does this Greg Gutfeld show. At least once every six weeks, Joe Mackey's on there. Joe, Joe Mackey's funny as fuck, bro. Joe Mackey does not get the credit that he has earned because he is incredibly weird. So weird. But he is funnier than fuck. He was on Last Comic Standing. Yeah, that's where I, yeah, that's where I learned of him. Yeah, he's funny. And he's best friends with Sam Morell, which is weird. So, yeah. That was I'm pretty like, sure Sam and him have a podcast. Sam's got one with Mark Norman. Yeah. But the idea of Sam Morell having one with Joe Mack, it's like, so on a podcast, you obviously get into actually just straight talking like yeah. friends. And, and like how does Joe Mackey do that? What is that like? Because <laughs> it never seems like he's not on. No. But it also, it doesn't seem like he's trying to be on. No, it just seems like he's that weird of a guy, and he just kind of stumbled into the fact that it's kind of funny. Joe Mackey's so fucking funny. I love Joe, yeah. You uh, need a beer? Yeah. Yeah, you do? Yeah. I had to fucking drink myself out of a stupor yesterday. I hear you. But then I really just ended up drinking myself to sleep. You want a press, please? Uh, Yeah. Ugh. Bro, on Friday night at your gig, me and fucking Dylan. Oh, uh, Irish Wolfman? Yeah, me and Dylan started hanging out with that homeless Jesus guy. Yeah. And goddamn, if our night didn't get fucking wild. Yeah, it looked like it. Irish Wolfman's a cool place, right? That's a sweet little bar. Yeah, it's a nice stage. Yeah. The crowd. I've got this weird thing where, like, for whatever reason, my gut tells me that I don't enjoy playing there. But every time I play there, it's great. <laughs> I think it's just because, like, it's so far. You have to jump on the 101. You have to get there. 
You yeah, have, yeah. Or you have to jump on the 51, go to the 101, take the 101 all the way up to Bell Road, and you take Bell Road seven miles through stoplights until you're in Surprise. Surprise is a Surprise is a jaunt, dude. But it is a sweet bar. I love the bartenders, both Vanessa and I can't remember the dude's name. They're both super fucking cool. The waitresses are attractive. They only charged me $23. And I had... More than that. Uh, so many Budweiser's. I had so many Budweiser's. I only had Budweiser's that I bought, but I had probably 10 of them. Yeah. No, that's a super solid place. And I was talking to Dylan that night about going to see you at Padre Murphy's, and it's like, yeah, hopefully he wants to come because that would be fun. He keeps calling it Papa Murphy's. I'm like, bro, you're going to... It's because that's what it is. I know. Padre Murphy's? I know. I'm like, bro, you're going to end up at the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, if you Google it, you're not going to end up at the right place. <laughs> but it's pretty sweet. It's a sweet little sports bar. It's got a nice big outdoor fucking smoking area. So if you do that consistently over the next two months, three months... Then you can bring up to the, the bartenders Sunday, the yeah. idea of the Sunday right, hangover. Football season? Yeah. Oh, that sounds so good. I mean, but that's the thing is you have to put in those hours yeah. of, like, getting to know the bartenders, tipping them well. Uh, like, I mean, and that's the thing that I've found about any venue is if you can get in good with the bartenders, you'll get in good they with the will go to bat yeah. for you for most things. Dude. Like, I tip, like, so all my drinks... Typically, at most gigs, are free, but I tip the bartenders a ton of money. Yeah. And I like to think that they also like me, but I also tip them really heavily. <laughs> and so they're going to bat for me with the owners. And so if you do that at Padre Murphy's and then you bring up this sweet idea, Dude, could you they're going to be like, we've got this comedian, he's great, and he's got this very interesting idea. And I think if we're serving Bloody Marys, you get some sort of, you get like a special menu. Yeah, yeah you get a Bloody Mary. You get a special Mary, fucking comedy menu Bloody for the, Mary ooh. screwdriver. Yeah. Tequila Sunrise. You get a Kevin signature cocktail. Yeah. The blackout. <laughs> yeah. The 6 a.m. blackout. Yep. But yeah, I think if you go there every Monday for wow. the next two Dude, or three months, Island. then you can bring up the idea. And you tip them well every time. You talk to them, get, really get to know them. Dude, the. And then you bring up the idea. And it honestly might not even take three months. Like, if you really get in with it, it can take a month and a half. The Sunday morning hungover (coughs) stand-up comedy thing, that sounds so appealing I would absolutely go to that. That sounds romantically appealing to me. Yeah, so this morning when I felt like shit. That's what we've been doing. That's what we've been doing for our entire life. We get fucked up as shit, we get hungover, and then we all feel like shit and try to make each other laugh. Yeah. Because it hurts and it's yet so much funnier. If you ask anybody who's been in a fraternity or just in any sort of camaraderie thing where you guys get hammered on a certain night and then every certain morning is hungover. type scenario. Everybody will agree that the hardest you've ever laughed is at those moments. Yeah. And so if you can bring that to an open mic, I think it's a brilliant idea. And... Maybe even just a month and a half of just being there and talking to the bartenders. You're going to be able to make it. Ha- okay, so you're going to be able to make it happen. It's going to become a thing. People are going to swear, especially comedians. Yeah. Comedians are fucking drunk dipshits. Yeah. Obviously. And so the they're going to swear by the idea. And then all of a sudden, this whole fucking thing just starts growing. And then all of a sudden, other bars want you to do it. They go, oh, I've heard of this guy. Like, they're doing this whole thing over here. 
revolutionizing Sunday the morning comedy. Who, nobody theaters. thought you could do comedy on nobody a Sunday did. morning. Yeah. These guys are doing it. So you need like a sweet title for it. Call us about church. But uh, I think, and based on that, then all of a sudden you'll start getting booked. I think that's one Because of it's like this guy's ever. super visible. Let's book him. And then all of a sudden you're making money doing comedy. So yeah. I'm going to be wearing button-ups, and they're probably going to be mostly unbuttoned. Yeah. If not all the way unbuttoned. Oh, yeah. Oh, when I left Whiskey Roll last night, I completely unbuttoned my shirt and just was just walking around free. It's such a good feeling. So that is the thing to be working on, and I'm excited to see how it <laughs> flushes out. I think that's nothing but potential. But it does require consistency. Oh, yeah. That's what I got. I was, I was consistent when we first got down here. Yeah. And then, obviously, the groove got thrown off a little bit the by rata. something. And then every time I've been out, I've had good times. Yeah. But I just haven't followed it up yet with it. And if you're doing it three times a week, you're also going to be simultaneously motivated to be writing as well. So you're going to be able to be like... Well, let me write something. I'll try. I've, I've got three gigs this week. I can lean on the stuff that I know no, works, yeah. and then but I can also experiment with some new shit. Like I've got like three pretty all solid of it new stacks bits. up in a way that's going to be super beneficial. I've got three pretty solid new bits that if they work out like I think they're going to work out, I mean I would be up to like by a solid fifteen minutes. There you go. Because like I got a solid I, fifteen is strong. It's like five. I added like almost. Four, four and a half, five minutes to my, just like bits about having a relationship or not having a relationship. There you go. I, I with with I how I added to it was with my fucking abortion joke. Nice about how I'm not pro-choice. Gotta kill those kids. Um, and then I got, I got the OnlyFans one, but I don't think that that definitely is not solid yet. But, and it's a thing that, so. It's known in a number of circles, but a person who people usually connect it to is Nick Saban, coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. But what it is, you know, like... Doesn't sound familiar. Yeah. I don't think I've ever never heard, heard that name before. I don't before. think so. But he operates by what I think is the most successful direction towards sort of success overall, which is the process, which is you literally do not focus on the results even a little. Yeah. You literally focus on, I show up. And I get Let's better. say it's three days a week or whatever for comedy. But it's based on, I show up. I put in the time and hour and manpower that is required of whatever venture it is. Venture. And then I'm done. But if you focus on that, everything else will take care of itself. Yeah. The, yeah, the same... The same principle as you take every show. It's like... Exactly. I have nothing to worry about because I put in the time and effort. Yeah. And like, outside chance it doesn't work out. You go, well, I left it all on the field. It's you, There's also no regrets yeah. to those things. Yeah. So, but I mean, at this point, playing every single gig, it means that I've played with a bunch of different musicians. When somebody goes, hey, will you come do lead guitar for my show or whatever... I don't even have to think about, do I want to do it? The question is, am I free? When and where? Yeah, yeah. am I free? When and where? Let's make it happen. And then that, all of a sudden, now you've got new contacts. Like, 
it just stacks together. You got to fucking play with Drew Cooper. Exactly. That was fucking badass. And like, so I had four gigs this week, which is already like it's a lot vocally because that's twelve hours of singing, and I for whatever reason have a weird voice that seems to I lose my voice easier than most. It seems. It's still holding on strong right now. It's holding on. No, it, and, and that's the thing is like singing. I think has helped it because it's conditioned my body to be like. We're going to need this to be able to go longer than we're used to. So I think that there's that. But I was supposed to have Monday through Wednesday off, which is my time to get other tasks you know, done and just hang out and take, it, take her easy. But Wednesday morning, uh, my buddy Chad Gregory, who I actually technically <laughs> called him Chad Daniels, who is a comedian, and it was super embarrassing. But he hits me up. He goes, "Hey, do you want to come play this gig with me?" And it's like I already have four gigs. I don't. I don't know if I'm this good. It's like I don't know if I can make it through five gigs of three hours each. But I said, "I take every gig. Let's fucking do it." And uh, did he do singing? Did he sing? He sang too. Yeah. But like, that's gonna have some compounding interest. He's selling me some. Uh, Pet, some pedal board stuff that I've really been needing and I'm going to get it at a sweet price from him and so it's like on top of taking every gig and all the good things that come from that you're also going to get peripheral like hey here's an opportunity or hey here we've got some gear you can buy for a half price yeah and I mean I think that applies to most things just like take every opportunity even if it makes you uncomfortable even if it's not great for your schedule but you can make it happen it's like take the gig because it's gonna lead to it's gonna get it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna at least get you the experience of meeting everyone that you're gonna meet in that immediate yeah interaction if you're constantly in the octagon you're eventually gonna get that fight that makes you essentially or you could just repeatedly get knocked out you just get your fucking brain kicked in. CTE aside, <laughs> I think that's a sound principle. I think if you're working for something that's not just a regular day in, day out kind of job, it behooves you to take every opportunity because you don't know which opportunity is going to be the one that fucking. Like, let's say you're playing a thousand gigs over like three years. You play a thousand gigs. One of those gigs just happens to have a record producer or and it could be at a bar it could be at a bar san antonio with 12 people in it exactly so it's like that's not a gig that you would ever just have and then all of a sudden this great thing happens it's like you take every gig because statistically this is math people yeah we're talking math we're getting into the statistically you've got a good shot of one of the of lightning striking uh, yeah. If you're always where light, you know, if you're always out there to get struck, if you're by always lightning, in the storm, you're gonna you have get a much better shot of actually yeah. getting struck by lightning. And so, yeah, that, I, I don't know. That's just what I'm trying to focus on. Is like, okay, getting so, struck by lightning. If I can, <laughs> do you have an Audible account? No, they're not. Those. Well, I mean, they're fifteen yeah, bucks I, a month. It's too much, but you do get a free credit every month. But you can also just buy this book straight up. You can buy this book <laughs> straight up. Um, and I, I read it, but then I bought it on Audible. 
It's five bones. <laughs> five bones. It's two and a half hours. Giving away, they're just giving away books on Audible? Fucking wisdom. The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, who also wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance. I've heard of The War of Art, believe yeah. it or not. Well, no, I know that. But the point is, I read it. I let Russ borrow it. Maybe you borrowed it, too. But the point is, there's an Audible version that's two and a half hours. It's five bones. And it's who the most... It, Stephen Pressfield, the guy who wrote it. No. And he reads it well. I don't think who reads the book would ever bother me, but I don't know. I haven't listened to it. There are some books where I don't really care, but anytime the writer is the reader, I am way more stoked about it, for sure. But the point is, get yourself an Audible account. I need to get myself an Audible account because I really want to listen to America Before and Wisdom of the Gods, oh, and yeah. I'm never going to read those books. But I really want to have read those books, so I need to just listen to them. No, audiobooks are fucking sweet. Like, I read The Power of Habit. I read War of Art. I wrote, I read like a bunch of these books, Doug Stanhope's new book. And when you don't have to like sit down in your free time and read a book, you could do it during work or during your drives or whatever. You can actually knock out a good amount of information like, yeah. pretty quickly. My point is you should definitely check out the war of art because, and I don't know if I got it from that book and I didn't realize it or if it just coincides at the same time. But one of his things is basically you take every gig. He goes, that's what the... Because he separates the books into like three sections. First one's like getting started, but the second is the most important. And that's what does the professional do? Because if we want to be professionals in music or comedy, it requires us to be professionals that take themselves seriously before anybody else takes us seriously. Which is a real problem. Which is a problem. <laughs> and, but he lays it out super clear. Like the professional doesn't take days off. The professional takes every gig because he knows that the momentum alone, if nothing else, but the momentum alone, and he gets into religious terms, but the blessings of the angels that see you putting in that work, that will manifest itself in a way that is successful for you because it's a recognition of the fact that you're putting in the hours that are required for a success and ventures that most people do not make any money at. When but essentially they could if they put in those kind of hours, but most people are not willing. And if you're willing to put in the hours, put in the work, day in, day out, and you just go, that's what I do because I'm a professional at the job that I'm currently on. If you act like a professional, you will become a professional. Momentum momentum is huge it's because huge. like when you when you go out all the time, like when you when you first start going out or when you're barely going out and you have a bad show, it's everything. It's just like fuck. Like I yeah. like it takes you don't you don't want to go out again because like that that memory is 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 so. If you so do two memorable. shows a year and one goes bad, fifty percent of your yeah, shows look poorly. But if you do fifteen shows in a row and none of them are killer, but they're all like yeah, whatever. I, yeah, I got out there and I did it and I didn't embarrass myself. And then you have one bad one. Yeah. It's not like the end of... It's not like, oh, that's brutal. It's like, well, all right, I had that bad one. If you have five good shows in a row and then you have a bad one, you don't think that you're bad. You think yeah, you that can also that, lean on those previous Yeah, it's like, okay, that show went poorly. Yeah. But that doesn't... But when you... If you just are barely going out, barely doing anything, and you and you get on a, on a bad streak, yeah. it's so hard to get out of that. 
Well, and that's actually, it's funny you bring that up because that's an exact, po- an exact point that he makes. He goes, the professional doesn't worry about each individual venture because, some, because statistically some of them are going to go well, some are going to go bad. Oh, so he takes everything in stride. He goes, successes or failures are all just another part of his movement uh, forward. Yeah. It's not at all about each individual, individual thing. As long as you're moving forward, they can go however they go. Yeah. It's, it's just, but the process is going to work itself out. You can have an early success. show and a late show on the same day and kill one and not do well in yeah. the other. It's like, sometimes it just... Not only that, that's a valuable lesson. Yeah. It, it toughens up your skin. Like, you go, yeah, it's a fickle thing, trying to do art for money. Yeah. Like, it's Two not strangers. always going to work out. Yeah, it's not always going to work out. But the more that I get out there and the more that I hone that craft, the better it's going to get overall. And then when I have the failures, that's why, like, good comedians, Joe Rogan, the guys who have been out there for a long time... That's why they always make the point of just like, oh, I learn more from my failures and my successes. And it seems obvious, but if you're a professional who is doing it all the time to where you have relative amounts of success in the majority and you have a bad set, you're actually legitimately able to learn what why, mistakes yeah. you made because you've done it enough, enough to know what and to consistently yeah. to where you have a schedule to where you're able to go, oh, like you're able to pinpoint where That's you, the part that I kind of changed and it didn't work. And I lost it. Or whatever. And so it's hard It's hard to put in a box exactly what it is about just general persistence that makes a venture successful. But it's those intangibles, like the fact that you're doing it in the first place that you know your routine, that helps you recognize when you've gone off the path. And you go, that's the spot right there. That's exactly what I've done that didn't make this work. And so it, the consistency ingrains whatever your venture is in your bones to where you're able to actually dissect why something would work versus not because you're constantly doing it. Yeah. You can't dissect something you have average knowledge at. You dissect it if you have full knowledge because you're doing it all the time in front of all different audiences, whatever. Then you can look at whatever the venture is and go... That spot right there, right at fucking three quarters of the way through, that's where it's not working. Yeah. And which will then make you a better performer, comedian, musician, whatever, overall. So it's it's an exponential thing. Like it's not just a straight line, like straight line growth. There's gonna be ups and downs. And there's gonna be But the things that you get from doing it consistently turns it into an exponential growth curve. Uh, yeah. I took an economics degree. We're going to talk, <laughs> talk exponential growth curves. Yeah, we were talking math earlier, and now we're talking exponential growth curves. This we're is a, really intelligent. This is show. quite an informative yeah. episode. But I think that the more and more that I do it consistently, and again, that's that's the, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. The cream will rise to the top. I'm able to start seeing things such as like when you do it consistently, you can see that one spot. I'm able to start even having that thought because I'm doing things consistently and able to see where things are working and where they're like, it's crazy how much, what's that quote? If, if you know the way broadly, you'll see it in all things. Yeah. Joe Rogan talks about it. It's like the book of the five rings or whatever, but essentially just like, if you know, how to gain success in one area, 
you're gonna you're gonna be able to see where you're able to apply that in every in area, area that you're shooting to improve at. Yeah. Which, and then there's the thing. Once you see that in all areas, then you can improve on those things. And then being able to improve on them compounds on itself. Now you're improving at light speed. Double like, exponential It's growth. really, you can find those spots easier and easier the more you do it. Yeah. Which then will also make you better Because you quicker. know what habits it's wild. Lead, you know what habits lead to success. And yeah. you can apply them in every facet. Exactly. And so, you're, it's, like, it's like when you start a new thing... You're already starting on second because you already know how to. Yeah. You already know how to start and how to how to prepare and how to get better. So you can faster. get better at that thing, even quicker. Even quicker. Yeah. And then getting better at that thing will inform you about the next thing. Yeah. And it just fucking it builds insanely quick. Yeah. And most Eventually people. You're good at everything. And yeah, exactly. And most people are not willing to give it a shot, but but, I, yeah. but anybody could improve their life that quickly through exponential growth. Just most people won't do it. Yeah. But it can be done by most anybody. Most people are afraid to try one new thing. Like, yeah. Most people are afraid to try new food. Most people are like, this is what I got, and I'm happy with it, and we'll move on. And good kudos to them, because honestly, they're probably satisfied. Because people who will settle are typically people who are like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. And they just operate in a state of like, yeah, this works for me, and I'm not worried about it. Yeah. And then there's people who it's like, I'm never satisfied. Nothing ever works for I'm, me. <laughs> I'm ultra. I'm ultra successful, but I'm still unhappy because technically that wasn't even the goal. Yeah. My whole way of operating is just being upset. <laughs> and so, and that, yeah, I don't know. That's a weird thing too. Of just like, even if you gain success in like the things that you really want to gain success at, if they're weird things like music or comedy where like it's not easy to make money at. Even once you get the money to sustain yourself, you're still unhappy. Yeah, it's because like, your whole mode of being is a person who is not satisfied with what I'm doing. Yeah, what's the next thing? Yeah, so it's like how, how do you fucking you even yeah like work you, that balance? Yeah, how do you like if like imagine if you're a football player and your number one goal is to be the best quarterback of all time at yeah. your sport, and yet you happen to play at the same time as Tom Brady. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what are you supposed to do with it? Yeah, you're not going to be happy if, if you tie all your happiness in to being the best thing at your at whatever you want. Yeah. But at the same time. It's also why it's important not to compare your successes to, to anybody else's yeah. successes. But also at the same time, if you're doing comedy or you're doing music, you want every show to be, like, you want every next show to be your best show. Yeah. But that's just not a reality. And that's how you play the game. It's like you do it as if it's going to be your best show. Yeah. And when it inevitably is not, (laughs) (laughs) you just go, yeah, that's how it is. I'll get it next time. It's it's that whole thing of like if you're always on the field, like you're not going to take every loss as seriously. Yeah. It's like I'm out here playing, and that's the important part. Hate the player, don't hate the game, you know? Yeah. You got to get out there, folks. What's Doug Stanhope say? When you live in a life like I am, you look at a like a you look at herpes like a skateboarder looks at a skin. Yeah, <laughs> you're out there taking that many at bats. <laughs> now Doug Stanhope has good, and he probably realizes it. But even if he doesn't, like his insights on the correct ways to operate, not necessarily as a booze bag, but 
I mean, definitely in yeah. terms of a booze bag, but also just like, so Doug Stanhope is considered by, he's the comedian's comedian. Yeah. Everybody loves Doug Stanhope. And part of it's because he's a brilliant guy, but the other part is because he did the same thing. He did, I'll take any gig. Yeah. I'll do an old folks home. I'll do this. I'll do that. He took every gig and through that process alone, it helped him hone his craft. Even, because that's the thing, is like if you're taking every gig, you're forced to hone your craft. Yeah. Even if you're not focusing on that, which I think makes a more intellectually pure product, is somebody who's <coughs> honing their craft through the product of work alone. alone. And so I think that's part of the reason he got to become the guy that he and is. And even though he doesn't have the sellout arenas f- crowd and fame. Not looking for it. Every comedian is like, that guy is a great comedian. Oh, yeah. He writes great jokes. He he has a voice. He has a style that is his. He and, sounds like Doug Stanley. Yeah, and he, d- he doesn't give a fuck about anything. Yeah. He, and nothing is off limits or nothing is... As it should be. He won't, he won't talk about... He talks about... Drinking his mom to death, like helping his mom commit suicide. Yeah. (laughs) And I, again, I think part of it's because he's brilliant as a person, but I think part of it's because of the process. We met that guy. We met that guy. We hung out with that guy. That guy said we're cool as shit. Yeah. And I think he's a smart guy, but I think on top of everything else, he was able to hone his craft through. The fact that he'll play any room. Yeah. At least to, now he won't. Now right. he only plays to his audience. We got tickets for it, by the way. Yeah. I'm stoked about that. But now he's made it to the point where he can have his own audience, but he was able to craft his own audience through playing every gig. Yeah. And I think, like, if anybody asks you, like, how do I, not that we're successful, obviously. But, like, let's say we become successful. Well, My advice will never not be just take every gig. Yeah. You do because you don't know the intangibles that will go into what produces a better product in the future. Yeah. It's just take every single one. Every single one's going to be different. If you keep your eyes open, you're going to catch things that will help you improve later. Those things compound. And then all of a sudden, that's what makes an overnight success. An overnight success is not just somebody found some dipshit singing a song they like, and then all of a sudden they're this giant superstar. An overnight success is a thousand tiny wins put together that then met opportunity. Yeah, that then then the one day when you played that bar for 12 people where there was a guy there who actually has influence and power in the industry that you're trying to pursue sees your talent and offers you an opportunity that makes you an overnight success. Yeah. But you didn't start that day. No. Like. That was one of the biggest mistakes I made when I moved to Nashville. I was like, if I just play the right song in front of the right people. There's this embarrassing video. So my parents came to Nashville when I was playing at this place. That that place I was talking about with the giant line that goes down like two stories. And I got on stage and they had a video of it. And the first thing I do before I play any song is I go, I'm Austin Sweeney. Feel free to check me out on YouTube. I'm on this. I'm on that. Nobody gives a fuck <laughs> at that point. It's like, shut up. Play your song. Play your song and get off the stage. And get off the stage. <laughs> but 
I mean, but that's part of the learning process is me getting out there and doing those things. But I, but watching that video now is so painful. Yeah. Because you go, I would never ever do that now if I was at an open mic. Yeah. I would play my songs, and then if somebody talks to me afterwards, you tell them privately that I might mention it. But it's like you never do that to start off with. But you would never even realize that if you're not out there taking at bats yeah. all the time. But it is a it is such an embarrassing video. It is so not good. <laughs> like the things I learned in Nashville were super valuable, but it's like ugh, that's so uncomfortable. You know who does that? Douchebags. Yeah. And you're just watching yourself. Oh, I'm on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> it's like ugh. Grody, Ugh. not a good time. But what are you gonna do? We're starting to become the motivational podcast. Well, I think these are solid. I think these to. are solid principles. But it's funny that the good time buzzer talking about how to be successful. We're talking how to be successful. We're talking money. We're talking the stock market. <laughs> We're talking exponential growth curves. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like it uh, though. My portfolio is. I strong. want to have legit episodes again with like commercials and all that, but literally we have zero time these days. I want it so badly, like because those were my favorite. I love listening to old commercials and like laughing at whatever our sensibility was at, at that, that specific moment. And we'll eventually put out other ones, but for now, well, we're hustling. We'll see. Yeah, it's gonna be smoke sessions for, for the while. most part. Yeah. But we care about the fans, and that's why we put out these. Yeah, this content. Love the fans, and all their support. But uh, the hardest thing to write is the commercials. But my favorite thing to listen to is the commercials. Well, because they make me so happy. Because we have to just come up with comedy out of nothing. What's crazy, and I even though I know that it's a fact, I still don't believe it. So we put out thirty-one episodes. That's four commercials every single episode, which means we're over a hundred ep- hundred commercials overall. I mean, we're you know 120 is closer to accurate. Yeah. All I have no recollection of just like actually sitting down and writing 120 commercials. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. But they're out there, and it's 100 percent a fact because we never didn't do four, four per episode, and we have 31 episodes. God, dude, writing nights were more exhausting than almost anything. Writing is legitimately exhausting. You'd be working at Wilco. I'd be working on the farm or on real estate. And then I'd just hit you up on like a Tuesday or a Thursday and say, hey, we're writing. And then no matter how long it took, and you'd get there around 6 or 7, and then we'd write till about midnight. Usually, yeah. And it just blows my mind that there's 120-plus commercials that's that, insane. Yeah, that we brought out of nothing. Out of nothing. Eugene Puddles, 15 Love, Worth It Turkey. Third Reich Exterminators. Third Reich Exterminators. <laughs> Anything creative I have ever made, I pretty much hate two years down the road. It's like, ugh. I hate it. Yeah. And I think that's part of the creative process, but it's like, ugh, I hate that. I've never hated our commercials. Well, because... I've never hated our... I love our commercials. I think they're... <laughs> They literally make me laugh yeah, every time. They make and they happy. might not make everybody laugh, but they make me yeah. laugh every single time. 
They're so fucking stupid. I know. And that's, <laughs> that's, it's, what's, it's that's exactly what's so my favorite kind of humor. It's my favorite kind of humor. It's like, it's so legitimately and purposefully stupid. Yeah. And that's what they're, that's yeah, the kind of content brilliant. they're pumping out. Yeah. Third Reich extermination. <laughs> Better <laughs> service for less. Super offensive commercial with just a lovely jingle at the end. Honestly, I think that jingle might be the thing that we're a lo- that like if we ever got canceled for a commercial and it would be that commercial. Yeah. But if we ever got canceled for commercial, that jingle at the end, I think absolves us. Yeah. It's like we were clearly we trying were clearly, to be funny. Yeah, we were clearly joking. Like listen to the jingle. Fair if we weren't funny, fair enough. <laughs> However, that is little jingle clear, alone is a, is a, a clear, clear attempt at comedy that we were shooting to be funny. <laughs> Uh, that's the most offensive but it's also one of my favorite commercials that one meat missile worth it turkey 15 love I don't know bunkers a third world country club that one's that's got a bunch of super solid jokes third world country club is a classic joke I can't in and of itself I really should probably just take it easy for the day but I kind of want to listen to the night from 11 to 15 the next set of commercials that are going to be coming out. Camp Cannabinoids is good. Camp Cannabinoids. But, like, it makes me laugh every time. We're selling weed. We're selling weed. What's 11 through 15? Eugene Puddles is in there. I have no idea what else is in there, though. Bunkers, I think, is episode 17. So I have no idea America what's... America 2.0, I think, is 12 or 13. No, America 2.0 is, like, 19. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, fucking 16 through 20 It's going to be a solid episode, too. And 11 through 15 might be great, too, but I have no idea Off what those episodes are. Yeah, okay, I hold can. on. Let's just take a look. All right. I'm a little curious. Conspiracy theory episode? That's 14. That's on there. Is that the cult? No, the cult is existential crisis. Conspiracy theory... I can't remember what the commercials for conspiracy theory is. Okay. 207 listens on coronavirus week two. Nice. That's pretty good. Let's play the one where we predict that it'll be over in like six weeks. Yep. Nobody's going to die. Oh, I think about that often about how, like, I remember specifically laughing about, like, we're going to take it uh, so serious and it's going to be nothing. And it's like, oh, no, it completely upended the world. Ooh. 11 through 15 is solid. 11 is just say yes. Nice. Drugs for guns. 12 is the legend of Eugene Puddles. Nice. 13 is Little Fancies, (laughs) which I think has a bunch of solid bits on it. 14 is a conspiracy theory episode. And then 15 is a good time at Bud's House of Fear. Oh, nice. It's all solid. Yeah. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be putting those out pretty soon. That is a solid little. That's a solid little list. Does that mean 16 and 17 are going to be Thanksgiving and Christmas episodes? It's fun out. Maybe. Well, the Thanksgiving episode is worth it, Turkey Number Two. I'm pretty sure. 
Um, 16 is a good time to buzz Thanksgiving. 17 is America 2.0. 18 is a good time to buzz Save Christmas. 19 is Bunkers, a third world country club. Nice. Which is still possibly my favorite title we've ever written. And then 20 is Slippery Immigrants. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you tired of Los Border Patrol? (laughs) Skating you over the border like a wet soccer ball? A flat soccer ball? So, ladies and gentlemen, keep an eye out for that. It's fucking 1847. Probably time to... I probably got my chicken nuggets here. 1847. I had to... Are we doing on time? Got some jams here. One hour exactly. I don't know how we do that every time, but it's impressive. Ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's impressive. I mean, we are who we are, you know? And we don't apologize for it. Why would you, though? Why would you? That's us. This is our theme song. <laughs> That's us. The Jesus on my necklace. Ugh, ugh. Kesha? Oh, yeah. She's got some fun jams. They're not deep, but they're super fun. Have you listened to when, I can't remember if Burt Kreischer was on Pete Holmes' podcast or vice versa. I think it was Pete Holmes' podcast, but at the end, they sing a Kesha song together, and it's the most joyous thing you've ever heard. They sing Die Young, and so you think about, well, they've got the laugh. They're both joyous people. Yeah. And then when Kesha says, well, let's live tonight, we're like, we're going to die young. Bert Kreischer goes, it's so true. We're all going to die young. I fucking love this song. Dude, I'm going to look it up because oh, it's worth like 10 minutes of listening. Obviously. It's the funniest. Like, I need more They Pete take Holmes it so life. serious. Oh, yeah. Pete Holmes, Bert Kreischer, Bert Kreischer. But seriously, if you're ever just having a bad day, it might be the best 15 minutes you ever spent. I don't know, dude. It's going to be tough to beat when Tom Segura realizes that Burt Kreischer's drinking Kool-Aid. That's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. God, he almost dies. I'm going to find it. We're going to listen to it. And that's going to put us in a good mood. He's playing right now the Sixers? Yeah. 
Was Kesha only good for a hot minute? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. But she has a fucking channel. <laughs> TikTok? Before TikTok? Yeah. 